interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the Ethics and Compliance Initiative, that's ECI's 2021 Global Business Ethics Survey. We take a look at the executive summary. We consider a deep dive into its findings. We take a look at a special section dealing with COVID-19 and ethics and compliance. We conclude by looking at some of the conclusions of the report and recommendations. It's a troubling report in many ways, but it's something that every compliance professional needs to be aware of. I know you will find it interesting and useful. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, and back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another live stream of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, first of all, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be back here again. Matt, today we had the release of the ECI, Ethics uh, and Compliance Institute's 2021 Global Business Ethics Survey. There was certainly some very interesting information in there, but some uh, either scary or troubling information that you were able to uh, get out a blog post on today that we'll link to in the show notes. You want to set the stage for us on this? Yeah, sure. So this is one of those surveys that uh, CIOPs them out, I think, every three years. Definitely worth a compliance officer's time to give it a read and see what is in there. Uh, It is an expansive survey of employees' observations about ethics and ethical conduct offices in their workplace. Uh, This time around, they survey, I think, 14,000 people across 10 different countries, uh, the United States, China, India, France, Germany, the UK, uh, Mexico, and probably others I'm forgetting. Um, it takes a deep dive into issues such as, do you witness um, ethical misconduct in the work? Do you report it? If you report it, do you feel retaliation? Uh, they try to split it up between entry-level or lower-level employees, mid-level managers versus senior executives. That's good cross-reference to look at as well. And uh, what jumped out at me this year, so this year's report is based on survey data collected over the summer of 2020 when the pandemic was in the full swing. And the questions were along the lines of what have in the last 12 months? So if you're asking that in like July or August of 2020, there's certainly a lot of pandemic experience in that last 12 months. The things that jumped out to me were that within the United States, and a record number of employees said that they felt pressure to cut ethical corners on the job. And a record number also said they had reported misconduct, that they suffered some of retaliation. And those numbers, not only are they at records amounts, but the records, the numbers themselves were pretty much double what they had been in the PI survey from three years earlier, data collected in 2017. So neither one of those things is good. 
they may be, they probably are tied to pandemic. Uh, and we can talk about some of the other things in the report as well. But that's the headline stuff that's going on. There's a lot of pressure uh, both in the U.S. and I should say those trends also are true to a lesser extent for all employees across all 10 countries that ECI studied this time around. Matt, in addition to that specific finding that you highlighted in your report, frankly, I thought the key insight you brought was it's not the pandemic, it's change. And yeah, admittedly, the, the pandemic is the biggest change perhaps in, in our recorded lifetimes from the working environment, but it's really organizational change. And although we'll certainly talk about some of the changes from the pandemic, um, I really felt like that that insight is going to help drive insights to compliance to respond to this uh, going forward. So uh, kudos on, on really pointing out it's not the pandemic, it's really organizational change. Uh, well, but the uh, give you, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, ahead. I'll give the listeners some statistics to show what we mean here by that gap, because I thought it was great for ECI to call that out. Um, do you feel pressure to cut ethical corners at work? That's the question. For businesses that experience no organizational change, who you are, that you've done during a pandemic, I don't know. But for those who said they have not experienced any organizational change, 17% had had no or feeling pressure to cut corners. That yeah, 17. You have experienced at least one big organizational change. That number jumped up to 43%. So from 43, just by having some sort of being organizational change. Uh, that was long before the pandemic, and we can talk about that too, but pandemic really brings it into sharp relief. There's some great stats there from ECI. Um, every type of ethics and issue, if you have experienced organizational change, that number is going to be worse. So that, that was the big through line. What uh, You speculated on some of the potential changes in the COVID uh, era and focusing on working from home. Could you uh, uh, explore that a little bit? Well, like, yes and no. So let's say uh, everybody is working from home. Now, that's going to be a big organizational change. I would say that science officers might want to zoom in on how has that change affected our internal reporting? Are you fewer reports of it? And if you are, well, is that because employees, like physically, they see fewer of misconduct because they're not with their employees, their co-workers, see what's going on? Or are they reporting for uh, incidents because they're fearful for their job? Um, and maybe they are seeing it, but they are reporting it versus they're not even seeing it because they're not next to their co-workers. Or is it possible that they are seeing more observations? Are they reporting more observations even though they're working from home? How would that work? And I mean, this is speculative speculation on my, I think it's no secret that if you feel, if you're not physically with someone, um, you might feel less loyalty and camaraderie with co-workers you're sitting next to. So maybe you are less likely to try to rationalize some of this conduct. You see your friends committing and in person, geez, I want to report it. I'm going to tell these guys that's dumb, knock it off. But if you see with some disembodied username on a Slack channel for the employees. You don't know who that is. You see some sort of 
sort of miscut or inappropriate statement, might you word it a bit more? Um, what the answer to any of those questions are. All I'm saying clearly that is one example of a workforce change. The pandemic might suddenly alter the data and the patterns that you're getting in some compliance program. You need to figure out, is that happening? If it is happening, why is it happening? And that's the sort of thing that the, the point that ECI really underlines for compliance officers about how urgent it is to understand how the pandemic and the changes there how it's affecting the of your ethics program. Uh, there was also a fairly dramatic number around those employees who felt uh, uh, they had experienced retaliation and a, a pretty big jump, or at least a, a, a statistically significant jump in that. Uh, really, uh, any thoughts around that as well? Well, so that went from 44 to 79% between 2017 and so that's a big jump, nearly double. Um, I should stress that the question is if you believe suffered retaliation for speaking up. And there are employees who might believe they are being retaliated against uh, when they act have not, or they are misconstruing some section uh, when act uh, it really wasn't anything personal, it wasn't retaliatory. On the some of them definitely, I'm sure suffered retaliation. Now the question comes back as to what that is. Not entirely sure. Um, there are some interesting statistics. And if, if you bear with me, see if I can pull up some of the examples of what the retaliation was. Uh, where is it here? Uh, my supervisor intentionally ignores me. Others are intentionally ignoring me. Personal items were stolen from me. That rose from from 11% three years ago to 18% now. Um, actually, so what fell was other employees intentionally ignoring me or differently. That down, I think, from uh, 24% to 25%. Um, unfavored work assignments, that's another one. And, and differences with uh, among countries. Um, in fact, India was one where I, I think 90% of Indies who reported misconduct said they did, then subsequently felt retaliation. I think some of that might have to do with the tolerance of or the willingness of managers to engage in retaliation in uh, probably countries that are more corrupt and certainly China and India are more corrupt than most. Um, we still have to put that sort of corruption issue. So a lot of data there that could help the compliance officer think through where are my operations? If this is what people are reporting in those countries, how employees perhaps being affected along similar lines, and then match up your specific compliance program, your anti-retaliation protocols, your whatnot, are efficient or not. Uh, there's some pretty good benchmarking data here, I think, help people understand they might want to try to enforce some parts of their program more than others. So one of the uh, interesting thoughts I had about this is it seems to run uh, parallel with uh, the findings we had around fraud and the ACFE's December report about increase in fraud. We've had the opportunity to have our colleague Jonathan Marks talk about that in the context of the fraud uh, Pentagon and the fraud triangle on everything compliance, but certainly the pressure um, seems to be increasing on employees. Obviously, we had the 
uh, former now former head of KPMG in the United Kingdom, uh, was very explicit about the pressure he put on employees. Others of the big four are also uh, being uh, looked at for putting that that type of pressure on. Is is it really pressures being put on on senior managers and they're just pushing that down, or is is the economy, or is it something else? You know, actually, that's a good point. It's I think a little bit of both. I mean. I'm sure the economy and uncertainty is a big driver of this. But uh, EC also, like I said, had split out some of these answers depending on your seniority level. And uh, across the board, more senior managers were more, more likely for these sorts of distressful uh, circumstances than level employees. So senior executives were more likely to feel pressure uh, to ethical corners. They were more likely to feel retaliation. Uh, they were more likely to observe uh, tr- troublesome conduct and, and than lower level employees were. Now, also before both groups, they were reported all those numbers in 2020 than 2016. But in particular, more senior level managers really seem to be uh, suffering a lot of the pressure here and uh, experiencing the adverse events and circumstances we would not to see. Um, I'm not, not sure how much I can say why that is. I mean, to me, it feels obvious that the higher up you are, the more you feel to meet performance, the more responsibilities you have, the more you don't want to let down and you know, if you are some entry-level person in their early 20s and you lose your job, that's not fun, but um, that's life. It happened to me, as opposed to if you're somebody in their mid-50s with a lot of stake and you've got a, a mortgage and family and whatnot, you're trying to support, you will more pressure to succeed or to not, not fail. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a different circumstance. So maybe that's one of the reasons why. I, I don't know exactly, but yet again, it is something that can the gravity of this can be for thought for compliance officers as you to see what that big data says for all businesses and all people. How does that actually work at my own particular organization? What, what am I going to do to run to it? It's a lot of good data here to help you think things, think those things through. You got a couple of uh, ideas that I want to see if I could pair together and maybe have you uh, uh, get your comments on. The first was you said an, uh, an immediate response from compliance is to sharpen your risk assessments so that you might be able to anticipate yeah. some of the problems. But then you also pointed to the 2008 financial crisis as perhaps a, a lesson in history or a historical point that we could look to uh, to see where companies might be going and where compliance needs to respond. I was wondering if you could maybe tie those two together and the uh, help compliance officers understand uh, what they can do with a risk assessment to help proactively or, or prevent some of these uh, issues from becoming full-blown legal or ethical violations? Well, I think it, it feels right in the, and the data show uh, statistically in the e-report that companies going through large-ational changes of more trouble with ethics and compliance behavior. I am sure that is because when you're in a state evil uh, and people might be insecure about their own jobs, they might just be confused about what they're supposed to be in roles that you know, nobody actually expected or they be suited for. If you've done structuring or a merger or something like that, 
Uh, people might be in the roles. They might not be experienced. They might not be trained. So compliance comes fat. Uh, plus, if you're just chucking a lot of institutional practices and knowledge out the window because of some big need for organizational change, um, that can lead to distress as well. So my, my whole point was that compliance officers should really appreciate that dynamic. The more big organizational stress you have, the more do you, the officer, have to be to, how's this maybe going to make my compliance program go sides? Um, and then start thinking through what are the organizational changes happening? Uh, it's funny because we're all, we're at this one year anniversary of the pandemic kind of old new tailspin. And a year ago, I would have thought economic disaster was at hand. Um, and for a lot of businesses, that has not happened. Uh, for a lot of businesses, they, they endured a really difficult few months and they recovered in the second half of 2020. A lot of businesses are great right now. A lot of businesses are taking it square in the teeth. They're not exactly sure when they're going to come back. Um, so you have to think, how is your company going to respond to that? And an organization operational level, the compliance consequence is going to be for that. Now, Tom, you had also mentioned the financial crisis. ECI did this uh, thing that I, I loved in their report where they looked back at the recessionary tactics that companies implemented in 2009, right after the financial crisis. So cuts, pay cuts, furloughs, slowdowns, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. Anybody who lived through that was not a but businesses that engaged in recession tactics in 2009 had lower enthusiasm for workforce and ethics two years later compared to those that did not engage in those kind of tactics. So what might make good business sense in emergency can have found ethics and compliance echoes and reverberations for years long after the crisis has passed. And the 2000, but 2010 was much better, and 2011 and beyond were well on their way back to semblance of normal. So what we did in 2009 had some painful cons for the long term. My question is, are we going to see something like that again now? Did we scramble in 2020 to implement tech reforms that might have found in long-lasting ethics and compliance consequences for years to come. Uh, maybe not. Uh, it is not yet clear to me that the economy be in a sluggish state much longer. I actually think that the vaccination program is going quite well in the U.S. I think that uh, spending plan that the Democrats just passed over the weekend is really going to stimulate. So we could see by, by 2022 any of economic scenarios that are very different. Any one of them could be true. We, you know, things could totally stink in 22 again. I think they're actually really good. Uh, they could be quite good where we're having an overheated economy. We're going to need to think through what's most likely to happen. How's my business going to respond to that? What's C-suite and the board going to want to do? And then, and how is that complications for my compliance from over the long term? Um, and then the more granular you get, the more statistic the ECI report can get. But those are kind of the big picture questions that I took away from the report. 
So one of the things we talked about early on in the pandemic was that companies needed to be uh, vigilant not to cut corners, not to uh, override or, or circumvent controls so that they could get things done faster. Could some of this pressure that employees feel uh, be from that sort of mentality? And if so, uh, how do you reinstate controls, informal controls, so that uh, your company is running in a manner that had in your same effective controls before the pandemic uh, went into full swing? Well, like there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. So, for example, I think management at a lot of companies in one year ago, uh, they did override a lot of their controls and probably wisely because we all had to send all of our workforces home like, like over a weekend and then start working in your bedroom on your own Wi-Fi. Now, a lot of cybersecurity and privacy and data integrity policies and controls and practices that could be short circuited. And that's not wrong um, if you had to panic in emergency circumstances and do that. Now, that's not the same as the ethics and compliance controls we normally think of around proper accounting, proper documentation. Um, some of that could probably have been complicated and slowed down. Like, how would you get proper documentation from somebody who suddenly is not available? Um, other issues like that. I think we have made strides to recovering from those kind of jury rigged whatever work that we can keep the lights on throughout April, May of 2020. That's now a full year ago. Um, I think we've receded a lot of, um, I don't know, does that answer your question, Tom? I feel like you asked me too, and then I got what the second one was. Well, let me then move on to some other changes that I think we all are going to experience in uh, Q2 of this year and perhaps uh, throughout the rest sure. of 2021 is return to work yep. and return to travel. And uh, how, how would you suggest a, a compliance officer, if not assess those risks, maybe think through what are the compliance per, uh, angles to them? Well, I mean, I think you would have to assess the return to work by paying close attention to where the act regulations applying to people, some of whom are my workforce, my customers, some of whom are my business partners, but what are the uh, health and safety rules that are applying to where we do business right now and how are we going to integrate those into our daily operations? Um, I think that's going to be very chaotic for the next quarter or two. Tom, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on a podcast where the CDC had just started saying that people with COVID vaccinations now no longer needed to quarantine. <clears throat> and that was if they came into contact with somebody who did have the virus. That was the first instance of the CDC saying people who are vaccinated get special privileges. The rest of us do not. And now just today, they announced even more privileges that people who are vaccinated uh, can enjoy. They can gather in small groups. If you're all vaccinated, you don't need the mask. You don't need the social distancing. In theory, you could wind up having departmental meetings for people who are all vaccinated. Are you really going to do that? Are you really going to have people wearing, I don't know, wristbands at the door and then zoom in the people who aren't vaccinated? Are you going to bother with that at all? Um, you know, you'll have to think through those kind of questions. I, I also am very bullish on vaccines. I think the United States is doing, at this point, a great job getting people vaccinated. I think by October, 
we probably will have most of us vaccinated and we'll be able to meet in very large groups uh, where you would be able to travel. Um, but you have to think through, what can I let a vaccinated employee do? What can I compel a non-vaccinated employee to do or not to do? Is it going to be worth the fight? Am I really going to compel employees to get vaccinated? Legally, you can. Practically, that might not be the best idea. Um, but it's a lot of stuff that is probably outside the comfort zone of most compliance officers, probably outside the comfort zone of most people. I've never been through a pandemic before in my life. You have to think through working with HR, working with your maybe procurement team or your travel office if you're actually large enough to have one for your workforce, how you're going to get all that done. And it might wind up being a bunch of temporary things if most of us are vaccinated and life is kind of sort of back to normal by October. A lot of the confusion right now is not going to be there in October. So I'm, I, I'm optimistic. I just I think it's going to be a turbulent ride. Well, that's a, uh, uh, I'm going to give a shameless plug here because I'm interviewing Pat Harned for a five-part podcast series on the GBES uh, yep. next week. And there's uh, really a lot of information in there. In there. Uh, I hope the our compliance community will take the opportunity to read the entire report um, because it, it, it has historical references. It talks about high-quality programs. It talks about moving towards those. And it talks about the specifics of the survey. And I can't emphasize enough the two points you raised in your blog, which was, if you have organizational change, that's when you're going to have a change in the pressure dynamic. But also, you have to sharpen your risk assessments. You have to uh, get ahead of this and try to determine what the compliance perspectives is is or will be. And so I hope our colleagues will uh, take a couple of those messages to heart and really utilize this report to help them prepare for the rest of 2021 and beyond. I agree. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds. And you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.